0: For the love of goats, we are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman. Hello everyone and welcome back. Today's episode, we are going to be talking to Dr. Tom Terrell, a professor of animal science and a researcher at Fort Valley State University in Georgia. Today's episode is brought to you by the online course goatsgivingbirth.com, a course I developed to help you survive kidding season without losing your mind. Welcome to the show, Tom. I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about Cerise Lespidiza and how this can really help uh, goat breeders. Can you um, tell us a little bit about what exactly it is and um, why goat owners
1: should know about it? Certainly, uh, um, the sorusilla spadicea is a it's a warm season uh, perennial legume. Uh, originally, uh, it's, it was introduced to the United States from the from China or uh, Australasia region, and it's uh, it has uh, been around for a little over a hundred years. Um, and it, historically, it was used in the U.S. for uh, Uh, road bank stabilization and for soil conservation because it has a tendency to to shed its lower leaves and it was used as a kind of a for for feed and for uh, soil conservation back in the 30s and 40s but the the plant that was used at that time had rather thick stems and uh, was not very palatable for animals and um, over the last 50 or 60 years there's been a uh, an effort to it uh a breeding program at Auburn University, that's that's resulted in the release of a lot of newer types of espadina that still have the uh, high tannin content, but but also have thinner stems and uh, um, lower. Um, I mean, uh, better tolerance to grazing, and that's. Um, but the, one of the main things that's um, the reason why goat owners need to know about it is we've done a lot of research lately in its um, medicinal properties for animals. And uh, as most goat owners or sheep owners would know, uh, one of the primary problems in uh, producing small ruminants is infection with gastrointestinal nematodes and coccidia and and other internal parasites. And uh, we discovered probably about 15 years ago or so that uh, that lespedeza has, um, has a very unique type of tannin that, uh, gives it a, a very strong bioactivity against these internal parasites. And so that's kind of re- just uh, generated a lot of interest in it as a kind of a natural way to control parasites in uh, in small ruminants. Okay. But, I mean, it, it's it's also got, you know, historically it, it was known as poor man's alfalfa because it would grow in very poor soils and acid soils. And, and so it had a lot of agronomic um, um things going forward, you know, previously, even before they knew about the, the bioactivity, which was, you know, like you say, it'll, it'll, it's a low input forage that'll grow in most types of soils. Um, you know, it's, uh, it will respond to fertilizer, but it'll also grow in a lot of places where other legumes don't grow. You know, like in uh, Georgia, we have an acid subplane and, and the, the roots of Lesterdeezia grow right through it. And so it's, it it becomes very drought tolerant and once it gets established, and so it's um, it's got a lot of agronomic things going for it. But but, but uh, recently uh, we've had um, quite a bit of activity uh, or, or research dedicated to this to the medicinal properties. And you know, my main work here has been with uh, um, you know looking at its uh, activity against Helmoncus uh, contortus, which is a bloodworm. Uh, which is the the primary parasite that affects um small ruminants uh throughout most of the u s and also coccidia. and it's had extremely high activity against that i mean that the very first study we did with it uh, with hay um it it killed close to seventy percent of of female humuncus, which are the ones that lay all the eggs and then in the with the coccidia study we did it 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 uh, reduced. The uh, osis counts by over 90 percent, you know, within a week, and so it's it's uh, it's really generated quite a bit of interest uh, for that, you know, for that that alone. But then there are some other things that it does, uh, bioactivity-wise, and you know, it reduces methane uh, production in the rumen, and so it's good for greenhouse gases. And um, also, uh, interestingly enough, it it actually kills housefly larvae in manure, and so you know, there's we're still figuring out some of the other uh, things that it's good for. Of course, it's also a non-bloating um, forage.
0: That's awesome. So, are there places that it, it grows wild, or does somebody have to plant this if they want it on their farm?
1: It, um, back in the in the probably the 30s and 40s um, USDA, you know, it, it was really an important forage for soil conservation. And so it was planted, they were given seeds out, you know, all over the eastern U.S. And so it's actually growing wild, basically on on roadsides. And in a lot of places, um, it's actually considered, some of the Midwestern states, it's considered a noxious weed, but uh, this was the older, common type of lespedeza, um, because it it was such a good seed producer. But uh, the the types that are available now, like AU Grazer, and um, some of the the um, ones with thinner stems and, and grazing tolerance, and so forth, don't don't have that that invasion uh, invasive quality about it. And so they're, um, but yes, it, it it is growing. You know, if you're driving along a, a country road in Georgia, I'm sure you'll see less are growing, and throughout much of the southeast.
0: Okay, and so if somebody doesn't have it growing wild on their farm. Um, is it difficult to plant? Like, do you have? Do you need an inoculant? Do you have to? Can you just take a coffee can out into your field and do frost seeding? Or how do you get it going? Farm. Um,
1: what we recommend is it, it is a very tiny seed, and so um, you know we recommend first that you get a um, a good certified seed. You know, and I can give you the name of the of the company that sells the seed. It's a AU Grazer is the main one that's. That's sold now for pasture and for hay. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Some of the older types, uh, ones that were called Interstate 76 and Sarala and um, and a few that came out in the 60s and 70s um, are still used for road bank stabilization and mine spoil reclamation and and things like that. But uh, um, if if you want to use it as a feed, um, I would recommend it's a um, company called Sims Brothers, um, Incorporated in, in Union Springs, Alabama and I can give you their their contact information at some point. But uh okay. um they're they're the exclusive producers of this AU grazer. Um they do sell it to other companies that, that resell it, but uh um they'll also ship it directly uh to whoever you know, they ship it all over the US and even overseas. But but as far as planting it, um it's normally, it's a warm season legume, and so it's planted in the spring um, after the, the final um, problem with frost is, is passed. And so it's, and what we recommend is that you have a well-prepared seed bed, and you kind of smooth it out, and then use a, it's ideal to use a culture packer seeder, or you can just broadcast it, and then uh, run over it with a culture packer. Okay. And that really, the key is the key is to keep it uh, no deeper than a quarter of an inch, you know, because it's it's such a small seed that um, it's you know, if it's too deep in that, then it may not be able to make it to the surface before it uh, um, runs out of reserves or whatever. And so, and so that that's really the biggest challenge is getting it established.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And um, what you know, there there has been some work that it's probably the optimum temperature for it to germinate is 20 to 30 degrees um, celsius which is kind of later in the spring but then um, you know you have to, to if you don't have rain that then you'd have some problems and so it's what we what we recommend is just kind of wait till um maybe around april um i mean it depends on where you are you know further south you can plant it earlier, for, but you, you want to be past the time when you get a uh, heavy frost. You know, you know, down into the 20s Fahrenheit, basically, okay. because it's if it if it's frosted, it'll go dormant, and you know, it normally goes dormant for the for the winter time. But you do need to use. I mean, there is um, inoculant. You know, I mean, if you if you just went out and planted it, it would come up and do pretty well. But inoculant's a very cheap type of insurance. And it's a um, it's a cowpea type inoculant. It's it's very common, um, and so it's not hard to you know. It's like you say that to uh, it's it's always a good idea with these legumes to use some sort of a of an inoculant with them. Okay. And this you know it's it's really quite you know one of one of the farmers that that just gave a talk here. He's a very good farmer from South Carolina, but he was telling us uh, how he does it is. He just makes a, a sticky concoction of sugar water, like a cup of sugar to four cups of water, and then mixes that with his inoculant and then mixes it with his seed and, and then uh, lets it dry for a little while and then uh, puts it in his cedar box and, and it uh, works quite well.
0: Oh, okay. That doesn't sound too complicated.
1: No, it's, it's really not. And that's but like you say, even if you don't inoculate at all, I'm sure you, you still get a pretty good stand because there's, the inoculant seems to be a very common um, thing in the in the most of the soils but uh but it is slow to germinate and so it's um and we kind of um we normally recommend depending on rainfall and so forth uh, not to cut it for hay or graze it during the establishment year mm-hmm. and um and just let it kind of set seed in the fall and and then when it frosts, that seed will fall to the ground, and you'll have kind of a seed bank for the following years. And and uh, um, and it usually thickens up, and is uh, you know, as long as you have a pretty good stand the first year, it'll usually thicken up very much by the second uh, year, and you'll have a very good stand. And you'll you know it'll be you know, it'll just jump right out of the ground, and you'll have a, a good stand the first year, and then. Um, you can graze it or or, or cut it for hay the first year but we uh we tend to advise against that because we you know it's it's a long-term investment kind of plant i mean you know it'll you know some, some of the plants that are growing along the roadsides have been there 50 years you know it'll it'll stay um where you where you plant it and so it's and to get through the winter depending how far north you are. And I know y'all are a little bit further north up in Illinois.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, it needs to have, you know, your last cutting or of hay or grazing, whatever should be stopped sometime around the middle of August, something like that. Um, or, you know, down this way, we could get a cutting of hay and around labor day, but, uh, um, but then leave it alone so that it can, um, you know, regrow enough to, to put some um, energy into the roots so it can get through the wintertime.
0: So, if you can't grow it yourself, um, you know, maybe you you live too far north or something. Um, then, is it? I understand that they make like leaf meal and pellets and stuff like that. Um, they that
1: they most- do. Um, again, this uh, Simmons Brothers actually is produces the the pellets, and they they've been making uh, leaf meal. Les leaf male pellets for uh quite a few years. And they sell, you know, all, they ship that all over as well. And so uh so they're they're a great source for the for the seeds and and the pellets. And then individual farmers um we're really trying to get more farmers interested in selling it as hay. You know, this uh this farmer in South Carolina, he's been uh really pushing the quality of Lespadiza hay and and because of its anti-parasitic value, he gets more for his lespediza hay than he does for his alfalfa hay. Uh-huh. I think he sells he sells his Lespediza hay for fifteen dollars a square bale or something, and alfalfa for ten dollars a square bale. And mostly to small ruminant uh, people, because you know, they're they're the ones that really need it for the, the anti-parasitic um, effects. And,
0: how do goats like lespediza Do they eat it pretty readily?
1: They do. Um, all, even cattle and sheep and goats all like it as hay. Uh, goats eat it straight away as, as uh, pasture. Um, sheep take a little bit of time to get used to the, the, the tannin content. Um, it kind of gives kind of a sticky taste in their mouth, but, uh, goats don't seem to mind that. And so that's, um, they'll graze it right away. They'll, they'll eat it as hay. They'll eat it as silage. You know, that's, um, there's there's really been no problem at all with palatability bit particularly with the hay or the, or the pellets
0: okay and is it good for all animals like bucks pregnant does nursing does kids
1: it is and you know what, what we say as far as feeding it um you know a lot of our work lately has been on uh, trying to deal with with the parasites and so we're you know we we recommend feeding it to um Animals around the time when they're under the highest stress you know such as uh at weaning time with kids or um you know during uh parturition you know when, or in or an early lactation you know whenever the the does are under stress' that's that's normally when they're most susceptible to parasites and particularly with kids that's when they they really have uh uh usually have um coccidial outbreaks uh-huh. and we 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 did a study with uh, kids that that we got from South Georgia, where we took them directly from the mother, put them directly on a truck, and then started a, a trial, which really increased their uh, their stress. And uh, the group that had that was not given lesbodisa, their coccidia just went crazy. It went up to forty thousand osis per per gram of feces, whatever, in in a week. And the Lespidiza actually went down. I mean, it was just you know didn't didn't go up at all and so it's it's really uh um you know, had a re- had a remarkable effect on i don't know if that's due to stress or or relief or or, or what it was but uh but it certainly had a uh, a very strong effect positive effect of reducing coxidia and we've seen that with both uh goats and sheep and of course there's potential for other animals we haven't tested uh, that yet but but we you know we and we've, seen, we've seen very similar things with uh with um like the rise with sheep you can actually suppress that by um, treating them with lespidiza and kind of how we 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 recommend uh, feeding at least about twenty five percent of the diet of lespidiza and maybe up to about fifty percent um, and that's that's should be enough to give their uh, uh the, the antiparasitic effect and then um but we recommend starting feeding maybe two weeks before you expect the the stressful event and then at least up to six to eight weeks afterwards and so it, it's uh you know lespedes in general you know has you know it's not quite as high protein as alfalfa and a few others but but it's it's a very good feed for uh certainly older animals and it's, it's very good for younger animals during times of stress, you know, that, you know, as they get past that and they start to, uh, um, to grow and they need, you know, really high quality feed, then you can start to switch them to a different feed, maybe after six to eight weeks or whatever. And okay. yeah, that's when, when they're, when they're past the, the really challenging time for parasites.
0: Mm-hmm. So I've read that you it doesn't be-
1: hurt bucks, you know? Yeah, that that the question that you had had earlier about uh, calcium and and so forth. That you know, I think a key with lesfodiza, and the same with alfalfa or anything else, is that it doesn't need to be a hundred percent of the diet. Yeah, it just needs to be a component of the diet, and and uh, we've never had any issues with that. You know, when we keep it, at, you know, we fed it up to seventy five percent of the diet, and and never seen any any uh, issues with uh, um, too much calcium or or anything else, and so. Um, Okay. So I, don't, I really don't think it'll be a problem at all, actually, you know, with, I think the issues you might have is that if you're, if you're grazing it, it'll take a while. If you have sheep, it'll take a while for them to get used to it, but then they'll, you know, I have farmers in South Africa and other places that graze it all the time with cattle and sheep, and once they, once they learn to graze it, then, you know, they come back to it very quickly. And, um, yeah you know, it just takes it takes a little while but but goats don't seem to have that that issue.
0: I've read that you shouldn't feed it to kids for more than about eight weeks. um why is that and then once you take them off of it, when can you start feeding it to them again like how much of a break do they need
1: you well know, we we start we, we did a few studies where um there was after about eight to ten weeks um there was you know, some of the, the gains started dropping off. I mean they were still gaining, but they weren't gaining as much as they were with the uh the other diet that they were on. And so that's where that that recommendation came from. And but we've had other farmers that have just kept them on it continuously and you know, they've they've done very well. But uh um but I you know, depending on if they're still under a parasite challenge, I would just maybe reduce the level, you know, take it down to you know, twenty percent of the diet or or you know, just um you know um maybe keep it closer to 50 to 75% during the during the time of stress and then just reduce it over time yeah and that's put it on to uh, you know whatever your normal um grow, uh growing ration is but you know because of its you know even young growing animals are still susceptible to parasites you'd know, uh, I wouldn't take them off of it altogether you know, because it's um, and it, it, like I said, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt them. It's just, they weren't gaining as, you know, just a couple, and then we've had other studies where they, where they gained consistently for 15 weeks or whatever the time was of the study. And we didn't see that drop off, but, uh, you know, scientists were, were kind of being overly, overly cautious, I think, you know, we we're, but that's, that's where that, um, suggestion came from is that, you know, after, I think there was some evidence too that um that certain levels of molybdenum went down after eight to ten weeks but we didn't really see what effect that had how that was related to growth or anything else and so um they they still were getting adequate nutrition and so but that's that's kind of our recommendation now is that we that we um you know stop it after eight to ten weeks or or reduce it well, we have you know, if you did want to take them off of it completely, and then monitor them, you know, for their parasite challenge, and then just you know, if they're if they start increasing, then just put them back on it, you know. Or that I've had farmers uh, take animals that are uh, not looking good from parasites and just put them in their in their their uh, let them graze less fodiza for two or three weeks, and they said that you know. I don't have scientific proof of that yet, but, uh, they, they said it makes them look better. And so that's, and it seems to help. And so that's really anything you can get into them. You know, that the more generally, the more, uh, less of you get into them, to them, the more anti-parasitic effects you'll have. It's just a question of, you know, where's the balance where, you know, you may not gain as well at, at, after a certain point. And so you have to kind of play with that a little bit. And we're, we're still trying to figure all all that out, but. Uh, Um, I think at 25% of the diet, you would get, you still get, uh, reasonable gains and also get some parasite control.
0: Another thing I noticed in the list of benefits for livestock is that it reduces the somatic cell count in goat milk. Does that equate to a lower risk of mastitis?
1: It should, you know, that, that was a, a study that was done several years ago, um, And, you know, that's, I don't know that that's been um, widely repeated, but it obviously caught my attention because, you know, there's, you know, it just makes sense. It has a lot of antibacterial qualities. And so it seemed to have um, some of that in that particular study. And that's, I would assume if it's reducing uh, mastitis causing bacteria, that it would would reduce um, mastitis. And so... Yeah, that st- still needs to be um, proven and probably more research done on it. But uh, it's, it was one of the, the, the studies that was done, and so it certainly caught my attention.
0: Can you give us more information about making hay with lespediza?
1: You know, one of the things to remember, in particularly if you're making it into hay, is that the leaves drop off. They dry very quickly. And so, um, that's one of the reasons it's good for soil conservation. But if you're wanting to feed it, you want to keep the leaves on. And so really a a key is um, because it'll normally dry in about half the time it takes for other uh, forages to dry, like alfalfa, because it's it's, um, stems are a lot thinner, less so it is, and so it's, it's, but what, what, you know, we we have a farmer again. This this fellow Reed uh, Edwards has figured out that uh, how he does it is he, he, he if you get a couple of good drying days, he'll cut it in the morning and then um, use a tetter on it while it's still uh, moist, so the leaves don't fall off. And he lets it dry for maybe a day and a half, and then he 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 lets it kind of remoisten the next morning, and then he he uses a little handheld uh, moisture meter. And he says whenever the 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 moisture normally in the morning goes down from about you know the humidity goes down from about a hundred percent and then it went, when it reaches sixty percent next to the veil, he said that's about sixteen percent dry matter and that really uh, preserves almost all the leaves and he's he's been, been able to to uh, get some very high quality uh, Lespedeza and that you know, that last picture was was one of his one of his bales on the talk there but. Uh, um, you know, why you want to keep the leaves is that's where most of the tannin and most of the protein is. And so, from a nutritional standpoint and from a bioactivity standpoint, the more leaves you can keep, um, the better it is. And so, um, I really feel like we're just kind of um, starting. You know, a lot of my research has been focused on the, the anti parasitic effects, and start, we're starting now to, to look more at the combination of you're trying to really push high quality nutrition and maintain the, the antiparasitic effects. And so you know, uh, some of these techniques that our farmers are using now to keep more of the leaves are, uh, you know, should really increase the value even more of this, uh, of this forage.
0: That sounds wonderful. Is there anything else that um, you think goat breeders need to know about Cirrusia lespidiza or harvesting or growing or anything?
1: If you, if you can point them to our, consortium website. You know, we have a, a parasite consortium. Right. There's a there's a section that uh that worm x and on un, under topics under there, there's one uh with just everything that we've ever published on Ceresia Lespedeza. You know, Ceresia Lespidiza is one of the but but there's also a lot of other um you know this this whole consortium came about as uh to kind of combat um anthemitic resistance and so we're it's really alternative uh, to drugs, you know, and so it's, you know, things like Lespedesia or plants and caproxide wire particles and just a lot of different things. And so there's just a wealth of information on that website and uh, uh, people can, can really find what they need. And
0: Yeah, I'll definitely include that in the show notes. This has been so much fun. It, um, being in Illinois and not having the opportunity to grow this and not being able to find it anywhere um, I don't know. I don't have any personal experience with it. I know I've always wanted to try it, but the shipping to Illinois has been pretty outrageous. So it has been really great to be able to talk to you about this today and get more information about it from someone who's done so much research on it already.
1: Absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been, it's been fun to me. I, I, I just see so much potential for it. I mean, it's, you know, and I don't know if it's global warming or what, but but Sims' brother says they're they're seeing people further and further north in the U.S. actually buying seed and and coming back for more seed, and so it's an indication that it's uh it it's uh doing better in some of those places, and so you know it, it may be coming to Illinois sooner than you think.
0: Yeah, um, that would be exciting. I know somebody in Tennessee who had it growing wild in her pastures, and she had no parasite problems. Right. So.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you yeah, know I I hear that over and over again, and that's uh, uh, you know the people that that have it don't seem to have the parasite problem. and and so it's just a matter of managing managing it to keep it keep it young, and uh, you know, or cutting it for hay, yeah, and that's yeah because even even as the one of the challenges when you cut Lespedeza for hay is it is it doesn't bloom, so you you have to go based on the height, and so it's you know it, you don't want it to get above maybe you know 20, 24 inches tall because then it starts to get too woody, and you know that's, and so if at all possible you cut it below that. But but even then, you know, if it gets up to 30 inches tall or whatever, the, the top 18 inches or whatever are uh, still supple and the and high quality. And so you know you, you can still get a, you know the the leaf the leaf doesn't change much, um, and so you can you know even if you cut it then and um, and fed it to animals. If they could pick through and get the leaves, they'd still get good quality uh, hay. And so, but anyway, there's 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 a lot left to be done. But but we're very excited about the potential. I mean, not just here, but all over the world, actually.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. And it was fun to see all the other places. Um, I should put a link to your map. I should put your map also um, in the show notes so that people can see all of the places that it grows. Sure. Yeah. I've
1: I've been been doing quite a a bit of work in Southern Africa. It's really got a lot of potential for uh, for that. Like it grows extremely well in uh, some of the acid soils in South Africa and some of the surrounding countries. Thank you for uh, letting me do this. This has been fun.
0: Yeah, thank you. We'll have to chat again sometime. I know you've done a lot of research on other stuff as well. So maybe we'll come back on some time and talk about one of those other topics.
1: Absolutely. If you check out that website, you can see all the different things that that our consortium has been working on. And so there's there's quite a bit of information.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that website. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: All righty. Thanks a
0: lot. And that's a wrap for this week. Be sure to join me again next week as I interview Sue Beck, the president of the Kinder Goat Breeders Association, as we talk about the joys of owning that wonderful breed of goat. Bye for now.